0: Hi, everyone. My name is Pam Stack. I'm your host for Authors on the Air. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned for this special in conversation interview with host Gabino Iglesias and his guest Josh Mallerman. Right with you. Gabino, it's all yours. Um, and <laughs> welcome
1: to another fantastic edition of Office on Air. Apparently, they liked when they did this the first time with me, and I am doing it again today. And today, I am incredibly excited because with me is Amanda Neal, production, Mr. Josh Mallerman, superstar singer. Songwriter, map out town artist, writer, international, soups, you know, best selling author, creator of Bird Box, and uh, Josh, how in the world are you today?
2: Oh man! First of all, hello. Um, Really excited to talk to you for a number of reasons, not the least of which, my friend, is that I'm almost through Coyote songs, and so is my manager. Is also almost through it. And we'll talk as we go about how much I'm freaking loving this book and how (laughs) it's too powerful for me to just be like, oh, I love it. I have a lot to say about this one. And I just want you to know right off from the get go, like, we're blown away. Me and Ryan both are just blown away by it. And I'm glad to to hear your voice and cool to hear your voice after reading your words even today. And here we are live. Hello.
1: (laughs) Sweet. Sweet. Actually, you know what? I'll throw a story in there to make you. Stage your intro. Uh, April, April 2014, uh, I got an arc of Burt Box. Uh, I remember reading at the University of Texas, I was still a student at that book, and I said, Jesus Christ, this man is going places. Pretty sure that I'm halfway responsible for your career. Uh, but also, uh, <laughs> you were you were very kind and you sent me a signed copy of of Mallory, uh, and, and, and yeah, scribbled. I'm not gonna lie, and I'm not emotional because you inspired a whole bunch of us 2014, seeing your career skyrocket. and It feels like Mallory sort of the celebration bringing you know, that, that half-dozen years of love and uh, the start of, of the next era of Josh Malloran. So let's talk about that book.
2: Mallory or Bird Box?
1: Mallory? It's out now. People need to buy it. Um, and it's, uh, yeah. How does it feel to have the thing out now, six years?
2: Ago? Oh, my God. So it's It's amazing. The... The impetus to write it was um, essentially threefold. Number one, the rough draft for Bird Box was about twice as long as what it ended up being um, as (laughs) it was released. And there was a thread in there. This is really weird to me. There was a thread in there that I ended up removing because to me – it was adding, like, a second note to a book that should remain one note. To me, Bird Box, you could hold down one note, one low note on the organ, and that's, that's the soundtrack for the whole novel. And, and this other thread was just giving it, like, one more note that was telling you if it was a major or a minor, and it was just too defined. So I got rid of it. And years, through the years, you know, my, my agent would ask um, are you ever going to write a sequel or, or someone else would ask? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I have a million ideas for other stuff and, you know, <laughs> no way. But then I was like, yeah, but maybe that thread, maybe one day. Then the movie is made and Allison and I go watch it in the Netflix office. And at, I, from the word go, I was like pretty much crying. I mean, I just didn't even know what was going on, you know, in this little screening room. And when it was over, I turned to Allison and I was like, "Man, like, I want to know what happens to her next." And you know, Allison's like, "Well, you can make that happen, you know." And then, so that was the second thing was seeing her in action from afar and thinking like, "I want to know more about her." And then the third reason why it was because the movie erupted and and none of us could have could have seen that coming. None of us. I don't even think Sandra Bullock could have predicted the. The explosion of that movie. So all those three factors were like, okay, I'm doing it right now. That idea, I'm doing it now. Here's the weird part is that I ended up removing that thread again from Mallory. So this, you as a writer can understand how bizarre it is to have a major thread in a novel that that played a major part in two books you finished and published. But that thread is nowhere to be seen in either book.
1: <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh why are you Stop having other ideas? Uh, you know me, we suck all, and the secret to the book that is, shut your mouth, sit down, and do the writing. You haven't stopped. Um, it's not only the books that are out there, it's also the books that you're stone and the wealth of ideas that you have in your head. What's your work schedule like? Because you're also doing this type of thing. You're doing media. You're traveling. You're taking care of ducklings. Uh, you're on social media. You're your powerful presence on social media. What does your day look like?
2: Well, it varies
1: per book. Um, I don't know what.
2: It, I don't know why I, they aren't planned, but some are written early in the morning. Some late at night. Some in the middle of the day. Some really late at night. And I don't, um, once, once like the track gets rolling, it, it yeah, I got to work on it almost every day. till that rough draft is done. So, so like once you get started, let, let's say you're doing, uh, 2000 words a day. Right. And you picture it going about 80, right. Something like that. And so then that, that means pretty much for 40 of the next 42, I'm going to have about two days off in the next seven or six weeks, you know? And, but It's like, I, I, it's almost like I feel like it's all one continuous session, but I actually have to sleep and eat and these things. So then it's like, in, in somewhere in the middle, there's always this sort of frightening moment of like, you've made it, you know, 50,000 words and you've been working on it for weeks. Like, do you have the stamina to keep going? And you get a little nervous, you know. And it's like, I always call that the out to sea moment where I'm like, um, am I going to get to the end of this? Well, okay. I mean, I'm nearing the end of one right now, and this would be book 33. And I think when Bird Box first got picked up, I had written something like nine. And by the time it came out, I had written like over, maybe there was like 14 or something like that. And now now that number is 33. So that sounds like somebody who's working literally nonstop every day. And and, and, and I am, and you are, and, and, and a lot of us in the scene are, but it's not always... Writing a rough draft. The rewrites take freaking forever. Maybe you have an administrative day where you're just taking care of emails or approving like a like a, like a cover or something like that. Um, there's Ryan, my manager, and I have started um, a production company. So now there's actually like business meetings that include other people's books as well, um, stuff like that. So there's definitely you know, there's no such, really rarely is there a day off, but when it comes to the actual writing itself, those rough drafts are like when those happen, there's like nothing else, nothing else is allowed in, nothing else is, is allowed to stop it, Alice and I can't really go on the road or something like that, so it's like, it's, it's just got to get this thing done every day till it's done, and I, and I do probably probably two or three of those a year.
1: That's so let me ask you this uh, out of curiosity, what, what feeds the fire now? Because by all, you know, looking at, looking at it from outside, uh, we could say that you, you made it. Uh, but now I see you working harder than ever. This week on social media, you were talking about this book that you cannot stop writing. And to me, that speaks of, of a love of the, of the process, just like the sitting down and putting this stuff in your head on paper just brings you joy because otherwise you would take, you know, a couple weeks off now and then.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't man, I I don't know what it is. Um god, I have so many thoughts on this question. Um I don't know what it is and sometimes I don't want to even examine it much further than I would right now. Um but at some point you know, me and my bandmates, I'm in a band, for listeners that don't know that, I'm in a band with my best friends, and we were, we were living in New York City, and we were, um, we were what's it called, like, you know, a lot of drinking, and, and drugs are around, and going out at night, and all this, and trying to write songs, and record songs, and I was trying to write books back then, um, and I remember saying to myself, I was alone in the, in the studio space, nobody else was around. And I remember sitting in front of the recording uh, reel-to-reel machine and saying to myself, look, if you want to actually get all of the stuff done that you want to get done, you need to put, um, I guess, art, writing, whatever you want to call it, you need to put that thing somewhere untouchable where distraction cannot touch it.
0: And I hmm.
2: physically, like, I guess physically, psychologically imagined putting it not locking it in a room in some stuffy dungeon although that sounds fun too but just putting it like in a place where like nothing else is allowed to touch there except me if you're fighting with your girlfriend okay it, it won't touch that if you're if there's drama in your family if you did too many drugs the night before if you drank too much for a week if you're on the road for a year whatever it is nothing's allowed to get to that spot and i i, I made this conscious decision when i was like 20 jeez man 20 three or something and that bizarre moment in that basement that sounds like cosmic and and new agey and whatever it sounds like through the years that moment has served me unfathomably well where Mm -hmm. where i believe now that nothing can distract from it i actually believe that and so i think like where does the impetus come from i'm like a I'm a. What's the right phrase here? I love artists, bands, writers, filmmakers that put out. Um, I, I, I call them as like a as a noun, right? Um, right. Like prolifics who, who, you know, they're not waiting five years per movie or whatever. Which I love those guys too. But but I love to watch the artists grow. And one of the scariest, um, things to me. Is to imagine like an entire three years of my life go by with no documentation, and it's not that it's not that I'm like so um, hell bent on like this is who I am all the time. It's not like that. It's more like I want the snapshot of the whole arc, even even if there's like lemons along the way, even if there's bad ones. Like I, I like I just want to watch the whole progression, and those are my favorite, like Alfred Hitchcock, Bob Dylan, Bob Pollard. I guess you could kind of argue agatha christie but that's a weird one that's that that's, that's <laughs> i need to think more on her um because i don't know if there's an arc with her or or if she just struck like you know she just knew what she was doing or something but anyway so like so i i think that the quote-unquote fire comes from essentially this is that if you only wrote one book in your life then there's a major spotlight, not, not just in terms of when you talk to other people, but there's a spotlight on that book that tells you, oh, I need to express myself in full because I only have this one book, right? But if you know that you are the kind of guy and you get into a routine where you're writing multiple books or multiple songs, you begin to realize that you can have one tiny sliver of you in each of these novels. And in the end, It would be this, like, quilt, the overall, the body of work canon that represents you, that that expresses you completely, rather than a single work. And then all pressure is removed from each novel individually, and it becomes a life, a life's work. And I think that when I saw that happen in the early days, I started to sense, oh, geez, man, there's there's something prolific going on here. I realized, like, hey, wait a minute, nurture this because this is making it so that you could write an entire novel and the narrator doesn't have to believe a single thing you believe and if you can get to that point then you are expressing yourself in full because you don't feel like every single work has to do it for
1: you I'd, in my list of maybe questions i had one along those lines and i'm so glad you brought it up so first uh the high strong people go listen to them you, you just mentioned i'm in a band like it's a no big deal. hopefully we'll get a movie someday uh based on one of your books, with Music by the High Uh But uh, I remember you talking about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, about seeing your career as a Frankenstein's monster. Uh, sometimes you write a book, and that book will be the head, and sometimes you write a book, and uh, without you aiming for it, it'll be the, 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 you know, the little toe. Uh, but they're all part of that same monster, and you have to put the same amount of work and love and once it's out there, you don't control it. Um, and I, I think that was very inspiring to many of us because we're always worried about what is the next book going to accomplish. Um, right. Is it, it going to be nominated? Is it going to sell enough? Is it going to help me you right. know take the next step? And right. You, exactly.
2: exactly. Yeah. I, I never. Yeah, I do. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like I never thought about that stuff. Like like even now with Okay, Bird Box, the movie, holy cow, that was crazy. And then the book becomes a bestseller because of the movie. Then you might imagine, one might imagine, enormous pressure when you sit down to write Mallory. But no, man, because that, that thing that I did when I was 20, whatever, it, it's still in that place. Not even the pressure of following up a bestseller was able to, to get there. So Mallory was a very fluid experience for me. Then, but then the question is, well, what comes next? Because isn't it so important what follows up Mallory, right? Like, you know, in some str- right. strategy, some career arc, strategy, strategic way. No, I, I, the way I see it is like, is like, okay, yes, would it be wonderful to follow up Mallory, Mallory with like a, a giant doorstop, like super scary haunted house story? Uh, okay, well, yeah, I, I don't have an idea for that. What do you have an idea for? I have this one and I want to write this one so bad. Do you think that that's the right follow-up? It, it doesn't matter. This is next, and and I think that the minute you start thinking, yo, oh, like two, like like, uh, will this one sell? Will this one hit the same uh, target audience? Will this one? I think that for some that may actually help them. For some, maybe more like specific, like thriller writers or something. I don't know. Like all I know is this one time. My agent sent me an email with the um, – it was titled, like, Trends, like Publishing Trends, and yep. I, I did not open it. I never opened it, and I told <laughs> her that. I was like, I was like I'm, I, I'm not opening that email, and she has never sent it again. <laughs> That's
1: <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> would you – we a perfect segue um, to the next question. You mentioned 33 books. Uh, Mallory is, is, is your first uh, sequel ever, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was your last. You take these wild jumps from book to book. You change the pacing, you change the atmosphere. It's entirely new worlds, uh, you know, character development. They're, they're, they're huge, they're new ones, they're multi layered. Uh, and then you abandon that world, and you somehow manage to enter the next one almost unscathed as if that previous book didn't happen. Um, so now that Mallory's out of the way and you have that experience, are you thinking about, you know, series? Uh, are you thinking about revisiting certain ideas from previous books? Or are you just going to keep jumping from, like, these wildly different books uh, for the rest of your career?
2: Well, so first of all, uh, thanks for describing it the way you just did, man, because <laughs> I, that's not something that – you know, I don't think it's something that you – necessarily one would doubt to do like, oh, every book is gonna sound so different or feel so different. Um, it's not really like that. It's more like don't be afraid or, or don't feel bound to what you've already done. Just just don't feel bound to it. That doesn't mean you have to repudiate it, but you don't you also don't have to be you're not you don't have to be like, you know, like you, we don't we don't we don't have to writers don't have to mate for life. We can have numerous we can have numerous partners, 30, 40, 50 books. So, so you know, I, I've considered um, a return to Goblin, but that one makes sense in a in a macro way because Goblin is just a city, and it's in the first book. Well, the only book is there's. It's about it's, it focuses on six prominent gobliners. So to do a to a, a return to Goblin makes sense because it could be six you know ideas that you have. That, you know, they just happen to take place in goblins. So, so, but the book I'm working on right now did strike me that this is probably the most different from all of them so far. It did strike me, like, halfway through, I was like, wow, you know, this one, act, you heard a few people now say to you, Josh, like, like, that each of these are different and very different. And maybe they don't feel quite like that to me, right? Because I'm alone with them in an office, right, the whole time. But this new one absolutely feels like a, like a different, just a whole different writer maybe even wrote it. So my answer to your question would be I, I think it's more my nature to, to do the latter, which is yeah, I'm definitely not thinking of series. I'm definitely not. A Return to Goblin sounds fun. And A Return to Smoke in unbury Carol sounds fun. But yeah. I, I think my natural state is just okay, it's like a dry erase board. Now let's erase it. Let's start a new one.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I like it this way. So don't worry. About it. if, you, if it's up to me, keep it that way. Um, yeah. Uh, if, you, if you have a little bit of time in your life uh, to basically focus on, on music, right? Allison, she's a creative force, and that's also a full-time job. That involves other people, emails, meetings. Contract from the be uh, you know writing and so why, why create it now? What could you do it? Oh no! It just broke up at the end. What was the, what was the question? give Sorry, man. No worries. Uh, I was saying you, you you have the time now to write and make music, but then you decide to start a company, which means uh, you know emails, meetings, talking to people, contracts, uh, other type of headaches. Uh, right, 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 right. Start a company. Well,
2: yeah. Okay. Well, really, what it boils down to is that Ryan. Okay, my manager Ryan is just—he's an unbelievable freaking guy. Okay, um, unbelievably intelligent, warm guy. He's my age. I met him. I think twelve years ago. I met him um, shortly after a girl that I had been dated dating broke up with me. So I meet Ryan. I'm single. I'm so broke. <laughs> On the
1: rebound. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan's my rebound. <laughs> and I had
2: like, I, I had like 10 novels, all this stuff. And he, he said to me after reading Bird Box, he was like, the second you, we get this published, I'm going to sell these for you. And Ryan didn't have um, another like horror author in his stable. He didn't. Um, I think I was his only, I think I was his only novelist actually back then. And Hmm. yeah, I was. And I, so there was no track record for me to necessarily like believe him, but I just, there's something about this guy and not in a, not in a mover shaker way, more in like a, just a genuine, intelligent dude. There's something about him where you're just like, okay, no, all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going with what you're saying. I believe you. And the minute, you know, four months after, Bird Box got picked up by Harper Collins. Ryan sold the rights to Universal Studios, and it was this moment of like, oh my god, like you you pulled this off, like you did this. So so th- so start there because that's there's always been this sense that Ryan just has a very clear understanding of what he thinks, like he can sell and what he can't, and that kind of thing on the on the film side. So what he's been doing and. Great success is he's been shopping, you know, all a lot of my novels, even ones that aren't published yet. We we had a we we came very close to like what I would consider a coup of sorts, where Ryan almost got a company to option a rough draft of mine. And that was that if that happened, and and it still kind of opened a door for us psychologically, but if that happened, that it almost feels like the doors would be just blown wide open because as you know, I have a crate here with like 25 other novels and so ryan we were so close on that one and it didn't happen but still the point is that's how elastic he thinks and at some point he was like hey what about other authors you know you know because i'm like his only dude right or his only person so at that point ryan started to stretch and he talked to lindsey barlow uh, Richard Chismar, Laurel Hightower, Max Booth, Jonathan Chans. I know that I, it sounds funny to say this on the air, but I know that he wants to talk to you and we both do and all this, whatever, but we do. And and he just, like, he, he just has a very clear idea, but he also feels like it's something that we should be involved in together. Ryan carries like the heavy, he does the heavy lifting in this scenario. I'm in all the meetings and this, but Ryan's the one who, like truly understands what's going on and has a vision for these things. So it is eating up some time, and I actually am a little concerned about that. I, I spoke with him about that. It is eating up some time, but I'm not doing the lifting that Ryan's doing here. So it seemed like a good thing because we are now producers on every one of my projects that aren't for Boxer Mallory and can you know, hopefully, you know, like shop all these other... Authors that you, me, and everyone in the horror scene know, any one of our novels could be, like, a movie. Any one of them, man. We all know that. Every, you know, any one of them. That's why when there's, like, a, a remake, we're all a little bit hesitant. Or if there's, or if there's part seven of something, we're all kind of like, you know, literally everyone we read done the right way could, could be a movie. Because we've seen movies that are worse than, any, than, than the worst books we've read. So, what, you know what I mean? So, what's the difference, Right. And I think Ryan, yeah. whatever he's just he's just a wider thinker in that way, and he is the one that instigated the whole thing.
1: Well, if you're listening. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, it worked out in the end. Uh, so so good move on the uh, on Ryan's side. Um, uh, this is exciting. Uh, what, one of my uh, one of my reasons for uh um, sort of shaking my head every time we see a remake is exactly that. You know, I'm 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 getting arcs. I'm I'm reading what's coming up. I know that if anybody asks me, I could recommend twenty novels off the top of my head that are brand spanking new that deserve great movies instead of getting another Candyman or uh, something else. Uh, Which brings me to the the current state of horror, man. When I think about it, this is a new golden age. Um, Some of the folks that have been around forever are still participating in it. But I see you know, uh, Silvia Moreno-Garcia taking off, and I see you, and I see Paul Tremblay, and it, it is exciting. It's, it's happening. It's hot. Why now? Why, why do you think horry's exploding the way that he's exploding? Well,
2: I don't know what wh- – I don't know why he's right, um, and I also would argue this actually started before this. But Brian Keene said when um, the, the Republican Party took, took over the White House – Brian Keene said that he wasn't making a political statement. He just wanted to point out that any time a Republican was in office, horror booms. And and then when you start to go through history, and, and obviously the 80s, right, is like the boom, and that's Reagan all through the 80s, right. And, and but there's that those the lines are more um uh there's more than just that one. And you start going through it, and you're like, wow, this is really crazy, man. It's really Brian King's right. And then so, but I would argue that this era, this generation, which I consider like, I mean, who knows how many of this uh, there are, right? But like, there's like, there's like seven, there's like 70 of us that, that, you know, or something like that, 60, 50, 40, 70, I don't know. There's a lot of us that make up this era. And I would argue that it started before this, this, this new political era, um, you know, uh with with a number of books from like 2013 and and joe hill also like and then now it seems like gosh 2020 feels like like a almost like a like a siren call or a bat signal or like or like it's uh i I don't want to say that it's that it's a peak because i don't want it to be the peak but but holy hell if it doesn't feel like we've reached another level right I mean, every Ooh. week, dude, every week, there's like another one where we're all like, oh my God, that one, that one, that one. And, and they're all great. I'm looking at a shelf right now and I see the deep by Almakatsu. I'm seeing Wonderland, yeah. Home Before Dark, um, Blacktop Wasteland, which isn't a horror novel, but it's a great book. Mexican Gothic. It's terrific
1: um, in its own way.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's totally terrific. And, and, um, I haven't read Paul's yet, but, um, uh, the only good Indians. Um, I mean, this, this is all in one shelf yeah. in my office right here that I'm looking at, you know, and Joe Hill's full throttle, which is only a couple years old. That's on there too. It really seems like, like some, so Keen Brian Keene pointed out that he thought it had something to do it, that he had, he believes it has something to do with when Republicans take office. I'm going to add on to that and say this, is that our generation, our era of most of us, a lot of us, Victor, Steven, Gemma, me, a lot of us, we grew up in a, in a crazy boom era. We, we came of age in the 80s. And, but we're all, like, really well-read outside of just horror. So I think what happened is, is that we, we grew up in this almost, like, cinematic age where everything we write has a cinematic sort of bent to it. But we also have like an extreme horror foundation. But we read so widely, and and and, and our experience is so different that it's like we're the the genre is like elastic in all of our hands. Like I think everyone at once realized anything can be horror that we want it to be, that that we want to be. So, so I think that that to me is what's going on. Is that it's not uh, necessarily a fad. I think it's like. I think it's that the, the the horror fans from the '80s grew up and we're adults and we're writing books now, and and I think that that's you know it's amazing to think that Stephen King is still like a part of you could say he's a part <laughs> of this new group, and and he's and which is just freaking mind blowing because he's the guy I'm talking about in from the '80s so so but it's I really believe that it's we were all weaned on amazing.
0: Creative,
2: colorful, fun, and super dark sometimes. Horror, that was like our coming of age. And then it seemed like there was a period of reading other things. Like I was reading Faulkner and Virginia Woolf and Ralph Ellison, and, and then led back to Dracula, Frankenstein, and, and modern horror, which was that by then like Brian Keene and whatever. And then I think that around it's a with an elasticity in the approach to the genre, but everyone, all 60, 70, however many of us there are, it, we all kind of came to that conclusion at the same time, and here we are.
1: No, I, I agree. And in the coming months, I, I've seen I'm receiving books from like August all the way to April up next year, and it is not slowing down. Uh, Jeremy Robert Johnson's The Loops going up, and it's a sort of it, its a new thing. We're seeing folks, I'm reading Graham Jones. Uh, and he was never this big, so it feels like finally people are waking up and realizing where, where the the fun stuff is. Uh, fun stuff with a message too. Um, so it's it's great. Uh,
2: well, let me I ha- let wore- me ask
1: you about that real fast yes, because
2: sir. because because this is something. Well, like Coyote songs, okay, is super powerful in terms of. Um, Gosh, my God, in terms of what they're going through. Like, first of all, I understood that it was like a novel but only because I had heard it build that way. But if you didn't know better, you might think it was short stories at first until the characters start repeating, right? And yeah. and by the way, the the first time with – I think you call it La Bruja. Is that how you call it? Yes,
1: sir. Yes.
2: Yeah. The first stop in that chapter is one of the most harrowing things I've literally ever read in my entire life. Like the first uh, installment of that chapter, of that, of that, sequence. And okay. So coyote song to me has a message for sure. And, it, and, it, and it's about like, these people are being treated like garbage. Look what they have to go through to, to even cross the border. Look at the, the poverty these people are living in. How about that one guy that, that goes to visit the, um, what was The, the stew master. Oh my God. that Sequence is crazy. And so Coyote Song has a message, but it's like totally does, it doesn't, how do I explain it? It doesn't feel even remotely put on, meaning you weren't like, oh, it's a political era. I'm going to write a political novel, you know. But, But then it's like the question is how does one not infuse their novels with a little extra something right now? I feel like it would be almost impossible to sit down and write just like a straight-up scary vampire story? It would be impossible. Like, how do you not infuse your book with, with depth, with meaning, with purpose, um, with uh, humanity, with empathy? How do you not right now? And, and so I'm asking you in return, like, do you feel that way too, that it's impossible to avoid that desire to do something
1: bigger right now? God, I think horror writers have, have finessed the act of Pierce Pulp, Here's, here's scary stuff. Here's entertainment. And you don't have to dig deeper if you don't want to. But if you want to, you know, here's Valerie. Here's, <laughs> yeah. here's Bird Box. You know, I could say uh, a lot of fun. It, it, it's horror. It's a lot of fun. It's post-apocalyptic. It's just it's a blast to read. Or I sit down and say, listen, this is a novel, a couple of novels about family and love and resilience and all this other stuff. Um, survival. Uh, y- you mentioned Sean Cosby. Um, this is this is a, a, about a heist and and a lot of you know, muscle cars making a lot of noise. Um, and it's also about race. It's also about being a black man in Appalachia. Um, yeah. The only good Indians. It's it's about revenge. It's about almost a curse. It's bloody. It's boring It's um, we're gonna kill the dog type of book because literally kill the dog. Uh, it's about you know First Nations people, so it's about Native Americans living outside the reservation and marrying yep. across uh lines. And you know Stephen is talking about you know Native Americans and drinking, Native Americans and finding jobs. So yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm I'm agreeing with you. I don't think we could. I think the uh, the outside world always seeps in has to has say in, in, in what we write. So, Coyote Songs, I, I wrote a story about an angry ghost and that's, you know, you're a horror lover. That's how I pitch it. Um, the fact that I insult Trump in later chapters is, is an entirely different story. It's, it's, about, it's a book about an angry ghost. It, it's about a witch, um, you know, evangelism. Uh, yeah, my, my no, mother, I totally, totally know
2: what you mean. But your yours has, has almost like, I, I don't, again, I almost don't want to say it all quite yet. Because first of all, I'm not quite done. I'm on page 130. Um, and I think Ryan's about the same. So I don't want to fully say it. But I, I, there's something else going on where it's not, it's not beat. It's not like Kerouac. It's not that. It's, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm still trying to put my, my finger on. Like, what is this like? Because at first, maybe it was just because it opens with a fishing sequence. I was thinking there was like a sort of a masculine Hemingway-ness to it. But that was only the opening sequence. Then it became so much so different in, than that in tone and spirit and supernatural, as you said, the ghost and that scene, the birth of that ghost was the harrowing scene that I
1: brought up earlier.
2: Um, and then, I don't know, man, there, it it just feels very organic, very natural. Whereas if you were to set out to write a book about a bozo president, I just, Feel like it, it, <laughs> that could work, but like I would advise myself not to, but it could work, right?
1: But I would read it, I would read it too. <laughs> <laughs> I just spell that words, man. it's good. Oh, it's, yeah, about a hundred thousand. Uh, I'm shooting I'm for a hundred thousand. I got 85,000 on the next one. Uh, I'm guessing it'll end around 95, 100. It's the longest thing that I've ever been in in a very long time, and I'm incredibly insecure about it. So I'm I'm going back to that uh, that comment you made about the Frankenstein monster and and how I don't know what he's going to do. It's it's my duty just to get it done and get up there. So right. Right. <laughs> and, and also by the way, <laughs> I I would like to
2: I would like to be an early set of eyes on that if you want. I mean I would love to check that out Also in your way it's um, not like you're
1: doing anything, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're you <know>, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, but, but me, you're but right though. So um, <laughs> you're right that you did the, a. The, oh, go ahead. Well, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, I was. I was gonna say you did a fantastic job of of turning this whole thing around. Uh, so we ended up talking about Coyote Song, but that's not what we're here. We're here to talk about <laughs> Mallory. Uh, and I wanted to know. Uh, it's the middle of a pandemic. You have a beautiful house, by the way. Congrats on the house. But you're locked in, man. You're, you're having the news are coming to your house because you can't go anywhere. There's no tour. So how's, how's the, how's the plugging and the interviewing and the events and the readings and all that stuff going for you in the, in the pandemic, I guess is, if this was, you know, the before you'd be all over the map. Yeah, for sure.
2: Um, I think a lot of us, a number of us, I know Alma got hit hard in the, um, uh, touring department. I think Grady Henry's got to get hit hard in that way, um, where people had big tours planned and then they didn't. You know, they weren't able to go. We had an amazing event planned. Whatever. Okay. So, but I, I think that I think that. So at the at the head of the lockdown, when I kind of thought there was only going to be three months of a lockdown, I um I serialized a novel like essentially live. And when I say live, that means I wrote it, checked it, posted it. So I didn't literally write it in front of people, but I, I feel like it was about as close as you can get to doing that. And I didn't know exactly where it was going to go or nothing, and then it serialized, you know. Because, and the point was people are low on funds. I'm going to write this book anyway. I need something new on my website. You need something other than a TV show to, to be excited about in, in, in installment. Right. This works for everybody. So at first, I was like, this will get me through this lockdown. But that book ended like three months ago now. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like finding myself like, oh my gosh, we're still in the lockdown where it has been long enough to know where I am now almost done with another novel. That's how long we've been in here. So I'm yep. like a little bit losing my mind, but, but like, you know, the I think the key is that Allison and I, we don't have kids, so we don't, I, I think that this would be four hundred times as um, worrisome as stressful if we did, and we don't. So, okay, the the danger almost becomes inverse in a way, because okay, if we can order groceries, and my job, I guess, is and I, I always feel weird calling it a job, but my job is to just write here at home. In other words, I don't necessarily ever have to leave the house. So then, in a, in a pandemic setting, why would you ever? So, so then it becomes like I'm almost having this inverse thing where I'm like, can I figure out a you know a, a safe and can I figure out a reason to get to leave for a minute?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. it, I just, uh, Last time we talked we were at Grand Rapids, um, so I don't. I'm uh, the rest of the not you know not going out and mostly staying at home. Really like you know see so a whole bunch of people out of it, so, so my, my fingers are crossed that we get under <laughs> control. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm glad you're actually uh, doing all the stuff that you're doing. I think it helps um, the success of of, uh, of Bird Box. It's uh, finally helping people realize that hey, you know people who write a very cool have other books out and, and uh, you haven't stopped. So uh, again, Ryan, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you said uh, probably 25 or 30 books since we started talking. I don't care about you. You are always reading somebody else. You're constantly posting photos of other books. Um, so I think we've, we've established place, everything that's come out between Bird Box all the way to Mallory uh, are amazing books that you should read. I love Inspection, by the way. Super creepy. Um, <laughs> You need to buy Mallory right now. Uh, it is incredible. But uh, you're an outstanding force in fiction, and you're always plugging other people. What are you reading right now that's, that's sort of uh, – or what are you looking forward to from that, that shelf that you're looking at and excited to share no. with people? So as you
2: know, and I'm not trying to be cute or funny. I'm reading – I'm almost done with coyote songs. And then, <laughs> um, and then and you're like, dude, that's not what I meant. And then I want to read, um, I started um, George Romero and Daniel Kraus's the living Dead. And, yes. Um, I definitely want to finish that one. I um, did a, um, a, a live event with him. And, and that was, that guy's awesome, by the way. Yeah. Um, and, and that was super fun to do. Oh, you did, you did an event with him too, right?
1: Yeah, I talked to him. Uh, I read that thing. It's massive. The, the uh, zombie animals killed me, man. That was a, such a great book. Um, man. Awesome. So yeah. And then um, I have
2: a few other. I, so I just just for myself, because I've never read it and I really feel like it's time and I need to is Joe Lansdale's The Bottoms. I have it here on my desk and I've never read The Bottoms and I've heard that it's just top shelf. And I freaking love the three, four or five Lansdale books I've read and I love them on Twitter. And I think that Lansdale is the kind of guy that like, what a career that guy has had. Right. Oh my God. And I just, I'm way into this guy, but I'm hearing from everyone that I have not read his crown jewel, which I'm sure there's 30 crown jewels, but a lot of people seem to love this one. So I'm going to read that one. And then I'm just looking at my desk right now. And I think that that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, the Bottoms, The Living Dead, and Coyote Songs. Gentlemen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going
0: I'm gonna break in right now because we're running out of time. Um, right. First of all, Gabino Iglesias, you are one of my favorite guest hosts. You will be back again, promise Thank me. Thank you. Tell hey, everyone I mean, where they can. <laughs> hold on one second, Josh. I got something for you too. Tell everybody where they can find you on the web and your social media, Gabino.
1: Uh, that's where I live now because I can't go anywhere. Uh, get on the Twitter,
0: get on the Twitter machine.
1: It's uh, Gabino G-A-B-I-N-O, underscore I G L E S I A S. Sorry about underscore, a little egg stole Gabino Iglesias, so I add a little something. I'm there. Come find me. Let's talk books.
0: There you go, Josh. I always ask our guests, would you like to come back and interview someone that you like? And Joe Lansdale happens to be a pal. Would you like to come back and interview Joe?
2: Oh, man. Yes, I would be honored to do that. But but I want to read the bottoms first. But yes.
0: Well, you can, um, you can read it. I, I can't. Yeah, I'll set it up so that you'll come back and, and you'll um, interview Joe and it'll probably be more toward October schedule is kind of full right now. Plus, I'm getting my eyeballs fixed. I'm having cataract surgery. So I gotta get that done first. Please tell everyone where they what? can find you on the web and, um, and your social media favorites.
2: Sure. It's just uh, – everything is just my name, Josh Mallerman, M-A-L-E-R-M-A-N, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. And, and the website is important because now it has a free entire novel serialized. It's just sitting there. Anybody in the world can read it. No, no cost to anybody. So the website has become a lot more exciting because of that.
0: So I and I also want to tell you that I, I mentioned to you that I read copious amounts of books all the time. Um, I'm afraid to read horror <laughs> because when I was a kid, my parents used to have those black and white movies on, like with Vincent Price, and you know all those old ones, and they scared the devil out of me. I was little; I didn't know. I'd crawl under my bed. So um, I have broken down and bought three of your books right? <laughs> so I can go ahead and and there read on go. my Kindle. You know, so you're you're popping my horror cherry. I just want you to know that. And you know that's nice. That's a, that's, a, that's a that is a badge I give away happily to you,
1: Josh.
0: <laughs> I wanna thank you both so much for being on Authors on the Air. You have truly just made my evening. It's been so so joyful listening to you both. I'll be back in touch with you both for you both to come back on again, okay?
2: Wow. Amazing. Gabino,
0: thank you for this, Gabino. And then
1: thank you, Pam. Pleasure talking to you, man. Always a good thing.
0: You're absolutely welcome. I want to thank our listeners for being with us tonight. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Bye. Mm -hmm.